0: Welcome to the First Time Facilitator Podcast. Whether you're a first time facilitator or a seasoned pro, listen in for tips and tricks to make a bigger impact at the next workshop you deliver. And now, your host, she's back playing golf in 2019, Leanne Hughes. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Leanne Hughes, and I'm here to help you develop and deliver workshops that kill. This week's episode is a solo one. I started writing it as I was going to debrief some lessons I learned recently after running a two-day conference earlier this week. This was the first conference gig I'd had since leaving corporate, and while starting to reflect and brainstorm on lessons I learned, I thought they sounded pretty similar to the rules that Dr. Jordan Peterson shares in his book, 12 Rules for Life. I'd seen Jordan speak at the Brisbane Convention Centre only a couple of weeks ago, and wow, like, what a speaker. So we were all there, there's 4,000 of us sitting in this hall, all listening on every word, while he just speaks without slides, without notes, without any kind of prompts for over two hours, and it was all brilliant. What I liked about Jordan's lecture was that on his tour around the world, he did over like 130 shows. Every lecture was different. And with the lecturer that I went to, he did a full wrap up of all of his 12 rules for life. And he explained what he'd do a bit differently um, in his book if he was given a second chance. And I really liked that approach. I liked that he was continuing to iterate his ideas and kept learning and thought, oh yeah, there's some room for improvement here. Um, And after reading his rules, listening to him speak And matching that up with my reflections, I thought, hey, it may be useful for first time facilitator listeners to have a little compass, a little true north of their own. So I'm sharing what I think are the 12 rules for facilitation. So this is a three part series. The other two episodes might come out following this, but I'm thinking I might intersperse them with a few interviews to give you a bit of variety. Uh, But yeah, four rules per episode. When writing this, I also thought, well, who am I to write the 12 rules for facilitation? You know, that sneaky little voice inside your head, it always pops up. Now, when you reflect on those workshops and conferences that you do run, I guess each of us has a different style and a different way of bringing ourselves to the party. So yeah, these are my 12 rules and I'd be really keen to hear what rules you'd invent if given a chance. What are some things that you really stick to when it comes to your facilitation? Things that are simply not negotiable. Send me a rule that you like to stick by when you facilitate and you can Instagram me, you can post it in stories or shoot me a direct message on Insta at Leanne Hughes. As always, if you'd like to keep the conversation going when the episode is over, head on over to the free Facebook group called The Flipchart. I'd love to welcome you in there and hear from you, see what you're up to in terms of facilitation, where you're traveling. If you need any help, need some tips, tools, or you're a bit stuck, uh, feel free to ask all the community members in there. You can also sign up to the monthly newsletter called The Flipchart as well. It'll be great to see you on the list. As always, links to resources mentioned on this episode are available in the show notes at firsttimefacilitator.com forward slash episode 57. Now, on to the show. Rule number one, stand up straight with your shoulders back. Yes, I have directly lifted this one straight from Dr. Peterson's book. His number one rule is exactly the same, but I won't be talking about lobsters and serotonin though. I guess if you don't get that joke, then check out his book. Um, I believe, well, he actually mentioned that this chapter for him has caused the most controversy for him. And it's also the reason why he wears ties with lobsters on them now. When I saw him in Brisbane talking about this rule, he said that the main essence for him was to convey that given all of life's struggles, obstacles, and hurdles, you must get up every single morning and attack the day. And one way of showing that you're attacking the day is by standing up confidently with your shoulders back. In every society, he says there are victims, or people that look like they're prey, they hold themselves inwardly, their shoulders caved in, their eyes downcast, making themselves feel smaller. They don't like to take up too much room. Amy Cuddy in her TED video also shares how body language not only affects other people's perception of us, but our perception of ourselves. And look, get this, facilitation is not an easy game. We've all been there you know, the one or two minutes before we're about to get up and stand in front of 10, 20, 50, hundreds of expectant eyes. And if you've listened to previous guests on the show, you're taking their advice and reframing what those nerves in your stomach muscles really mean. You're telling yourself that you're feeling excited and you're not feeling nervous, but there is still some sort of inkling in you, maybe a sense of foreboding. Um, That's how I feel sometimes, just like a minute before I'm about to stand up. So my strategy is to start with this. Start with this approach. When I go to the front of the room, my shoulders are back. And by doing this, everything else seems to calm down. My voice feels under control. My breathing feels nice and paced. And I do believe it's all to do with the simple step of standing up confidently with my shoulders back. If you're not at a stage right now where your default posture is shoulders back, and I'm saying this because I don't think you should only channel this uh, this rule when you facilitate. I think if you can walk and, and see the world, and like it, Jordan says, it's part of his rules for life. If every minute of the day that you're standing up with your shoulders back, that'll help you as well. So if you don't have this as a default option, a nice little hack to get into the habit is by putting up a post-it note in the doorway of a few rooms at your house. And you don't need to write anything on the post-it note. It's just just leave it on the doorway. And that's a little trigger to remind you when you walk through the doorway to audit your posture, see where it's at. If you're hunched, then you can reset it. Um, I got this tip from Jordan Harbinger on his podcast, the Jordan Harbinger show. I've used it and that's how I, I think I'm getting it into my default posture. It's been a really great hack. So like I said, this helps to give me the perceived confidence. Um, But your workshop participants also want to have confidence in you as well. They want to see someone who's facilitating their workshop, whether it's through being a trainer, an MC, or a speaker type role. They want you to look like you are confident and in control. In an earlier episode of this podcast, I spoke about David Rock's SCARF methodology. That's an acronym. The S stands for STATUS. Now we're constantly evaluating our status and the same goes for when your participants see you for the first time. If they see you with your shoulders back, that's an indicator that you have the credibility, you know your stuff and you deserve to be out there facilitating. So rule number one, stand up straight with your shoulders back. Rule number two, iron your shirt the night before your workshop. It was only last week when I was down at the beautiful Sanctuary Cove at the Gold Coast, facilitating a two-day conference for a group of 30 senior leaders called Unleash Your Potential. Actually, g'day to any of you who are listening to this podcast that were there last week. You were an awesome group. Um, And if you follow me on Instagram at Leanne Hughes, you'll see some Instagram stories and a pretty epic photo I took of these two kangaroos on my morning run like that was awesome. Anyway, at the end of day one of this conference, I checked into my room, I got into my sneakers and went for a huge walk, listening to a podcast while checking out some big boats on the marina. I got back to the room, ordered room service, opened up my laptop and I started to refine day two content. I spent about an hour or so making tweaks to the content based on what the group had been talking about. And I got to a stage when I was pretty happy with it all, and, um, shut the computer down. I then reached into my suitcase. I hung up my outfit for day two and I thought, Oh, I really should iron that shirt tonight. And then thought, nah, I've done enough work as it is. It'll be fine. I've got heaps of time tomorrow. The next morning I woke up and I'd had one of those, just an amazing night's sleep. Uh, it was one of those mornings where you wake up and you wonder where am I? And then you're like, Oh yeah, that's right. I've got to get up and, and run day two of this conference. Again, I got into my sneakers, I went for a 5K run, took the photos of said kangaroos, ate a delicious hotel breakfast, had a coffee, and I returned to my room to get ready. Spent a bit of time pottering around, checking social media, something I'm really trying to stamp out. Anyway, I soon realized that the morning was getting away from me. I'd, I'd woken up at five. I didn't have to be there till eight, but somehow I'd managed to fill that time pretty easily. So as I went to iron my top, I realized that there was a massive tear down the side. It was so noticeable, like almost half the side of the top had been torn and I've got no idea how. Well, this threw me off a bit as I had all my shoes, skirt, accessories tied to this outfit, tied to this top. Luckily, um, I had packed a backup outfit, which also required some ironing. And while this story isn't catastrophic, it did kind of throw me. It was unexpected. It turned my cruisy, really enjoyable morning off a bit. Uh, My heart was beating faster. I got the sweats on and I was now scared of being late. It just wasn't ideal. So this story was actually the catalyst for me writing these 12 rules for facilitation. I thought, Leanne, you cannot let this happen again. And there are a ton of quotes which... I've even shared with uh, participants in workshops such as, you know, the biggest time saver of today is tomorrow. And yet I still let myself down. So not anymore. It's rule number two now. And I mean it literally and metaphorically. Iron your shirt the night before. With facilitation and life in general, you can't anticipate what will happen. And if you can control the controllables and sort them out in the moment, it's worth it. You'll be doing your future self a massive favour. Rule number three, give yourself a fake deadline and convince yourself it's real. Now, this rule really applies to developing workshop and conference content. So with this conference, I started creating content, maybe Five or six weeks ago, I had a really high-level instructional design map. Um, That's something I've talked about in previous episodes, but I think I should do a whole episode on it. It's one of my go-to tools. So a a high-level ID map, I had a broad idea of what I was going to do, but the moment I really started thinking about how to bring these concepts and theories to life through the use of cool activities, some videos, multimedia, some um, really open-ended questions, it all got a bit out of control, especially when you start to evaluate what you have in terms of content and how much time you're allocating to the topic. And facilitation is tricky like that. So with a keynote speech, if you're given 20 minutes, it's very easy to write 20 minutes of content and practice it so you know it's 20 minutes worth of content. But with facilitation, you might allocate 30 minutes to a model and on the day you discover that the conversation isn't As in depth, people really understand it already, or so you know. It might only go for twenty minutes. All the alternate is that people really hook into that, and that topic goes for longer. So, kind of knowing this, when I develop content, I put in way more than I actually need, just in case we're going ahead of time. So, because of this, my content development process takes forever, and if there is no finite time frame and deadline. I'd probably still be iterating and tweaking elements of the presentation today. So like I mentioned back in rule two, iron your shirt the night before your workshop. Uh, The night before this, uh, the day two, I was iterating content. What I wish I'd done was given myself some fake submission deadline, like have the ID map done four weeks ago, approve it, have slides done three weeks ago, lock them in and don't change them. Like giving myself some self-imposed deadlines and sticking to them. So I'm trying to figure out how do I make this work? What I'm thinking now, one way to help set this up is to use a project management tool. And I've raved about Asana in previous episodes. So maybe having a bit of a, a, bit of a project template, something that is, you know, you got, okay, create ID map, create slides, get activities together, find videos, whatever your, the way that you like to plan this, just have that as a base, as a skeleton project template in Asana. Then every time you've got a new workshop, you just click copy or duplicate, and then you can contextualize it and add the dates in. Now, the best thing about that is Asana will send you emails when things are due. So it feels like you are submitting it to someone, even though you're managing yourself. Um, I think that's what I'm going to impose on myself next time. For the global Clifton Strengths workshop I'm co-presenting with Adam Musto, that's on the 3rd to 5th of June, but they've asked for the slides by the 15th of March. That's this Friday. At first, I was a bit put off and thinking, what the? Uh, But after some thought, I've decided that slides aren't going to be the main feature of this event, which is great. So I'm going to keep my slides looking like looking really nice and well-designed, but keeping content on the slides at a really high level, and I'm only going to use four or five slides, I'm going to dedicate the rest of my time and energy thinking about how to make the workshop more relatable, practical and engaging for the participants. So yes, while I thought that was a crazy deadline, um, I've actually really liked the idea of having to submit something ages in advance. If I had an extra three months to work on that PowerPoint, I'd probably be spending three months working on the PowerPoint. So with the organizers drawing a line in the sand, I can accept that my slides don't need to be perfect and my focus is now going to areas that matter more. Another way of giving yourself arbitrary deadlines when creating content is to set a timer. Now I do that on my Apple Watch and it's amazing what you can bust out in terms of content in 20 or 30 minute increments. I feel like we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and we think that if we want to make the presentation the best presentation or workshop ever, we need to dedicate so much time to do that. I think constraints can help you with being creative and I find that I get into the flow better when I have less time to dedicate to the task. And, um, yeah, just build a good workflow and a bit of momentum. So if I gave myself four hours to work on content creation, I'd probably spend four hours working on it, but I might deliver the same amount and value as if I'd just given myself three times 30 minute bursts. So, and remember that your brain also needs time to think and reflect on what you're putting out. Content creation is a pretty creative concept. Sometimes you can't just struggle and get there. You've got to let your brain relax, let it switch off, go for a walk, have a shower, whatever it is. And you will think during that downtime, you think, oh, that's how these two models will link together. It kind of hits you when you're not thinking about it. So remember that pausing and that reflection time and turning your brain off from what you're doing is really kind of useful. Um, you don't need to be actively spending the four hours on the content. The hard part, like I said, um, in all of this, is convincing yourself that it's a real deadline when you set a fake deadline. But like I said in rule number two, you will be thanking your future self. And I think it's a really great habit to develop. Laura Vanderkam, in her TED video about priority management, which I'll link into in the show notes, she has a really good line and concept that we need to treat our priorities like they're emergencies. You'll make time for a broken shower tap in your house we need to treat our top priorities in the same way. So content development is like that. It's in the important, but not urgent quadrant if we're looking at Stephen Covey's model. And we don't want it to be where it's a week before and now it's suddenly important and urgent because that really creates a lot of stress. Rule number four. If I say we finish at 5 p.m., it means we're done by 4.55 p.m. This rule is coming at you from a participant's perspective. You may not agree with it, but I wish every facilitator stuck to this one. I feel like if there's an agenda and agreed upon times, you're breaking a promise or a rule of some sort if the workshop or meeting time goes over. I feel like as facilitators, sometimes we may think that we're helping when we over-deliver and we give more value, but the expectation's been set. It's been set that at 5pm, we'll be out of there. And I'm using 5pm as an example. It doesn't matter if your workshop is meant to finish at 2pm or 9pm. Always finish at the agreed upon time. It's about us as humans having expectations and certainty. If you can commit to keeping the workshop ending at the same time, you set a standard and you start building trust when you promise on that standard. It's really difficult to trust someone who sets an expectation, sets a standard and then doesn't deliver on it. And as facilitators, our role is to create an environment where we do develop trust. Remember, especially working with new audiences, that trust is key. Now, this also goes uh, the same way with starting on time. I read some rules on um, a meeting tips website. I can't remember exactly which one, a while ago. I know we've all been there. We've been hosting a meeting at work and an important stakeholder hasn't shown up. They're late. Now, it's very tempting to wait for that person, especially if they're influential. Uh, But to set a standard and to create a positive culture, you need to start that meeting on time. If you don't start the meeting on time, You're telling the people who have arrived to the meeting that, A, they're not as important as the person that's late, or B, that it's acceptable behavior to show up late to your meetings. And of course, you don't want to set that and set that standard. So really, this rule isn't so much about timing. It's really about delivering on what you've promised. (coughs) Those are my first four rules out of the 12 rules for facilitation. So a quick recap of what they are. Rule number one is stand up straight with your shoulders back, directly lifted from Dr. Jordan Peterson. Rule number two is iron your shirt the night before your workshop. Rule number three is to give yourself a fake deadline and convince yourself that it's real. And rule number four is if I say we're finishing at 5 p.m. It means we're out the door at 4.55 p.m. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. So did any particular rule resonate with you? Are you curious or do you have opinions on any of the others? Uh, Like I said, connect with me on LinkedIn or shoot me a direct message post on Instagram at Leanne Hughes. Alternatively, just go down the traditional line and send me an email. Hello at firsttimefacilitator.com. And if you like the show and want to build your skills as a facilitator, make it easy for yourself and hit that subscribe button in your podcast player of choice. That's it for me for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the four rules. It's a little bit different to uh, any kind of episode I've pushed out in the past. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Have a wonderful week. Bye.